Look how social this side is compared to you guys. I'm just saying, yeah. <laughs> All right, I got to know, did anyone, did anyone answer, your, your answer was something like, it, had some, it was ac an academic answer you loved? <laughs> yeah. Not surprised. Okay, where else? The academic answers? Okay. Yeah, like, oh, I just loved when the teacher said, you get to do the math problems on the board. You know, any of those? Yeah, not me. <laughs> Mine was pretty much any time other than that. So, uh, right, well, good to be with you this morning. This morning, we are beginning a new series, and we are talking about participating. Uh, today, we're, we're, the series we're going to look at is uh, a new series in the book of Philippians, and we're going to kind of explore today, and we're going to see the joy of joining in, and what it means to participate in what God is doing. And so we're going to start off, so this, today is the first day of it, of the book of Philippians, and this series is going to take us for a couple months, actually. We're going to go verse by verse. It's going to take a while. And our creative team got together a few weeks ago, and we were trying to think, okay, how could we brand this series? Would we talk about it? So they came up with this title for, for this study. It's called The Study in the Book of Philippians. <laughs> Pretty creative, huh? They, they are earning their keep, I can tell you that. Uh, but we, what we really wanted is we thought, hey, let's, that's what we're doing. We're going to go through it. Uh, now, there's a couple reasons why we like to go through books verse by verse and why we're going to take our time through this one. And the first is we always want to take some time to learn and study what do we learn about the character and nature of God through this writing. So it's one of the things we'll be looking for. The other thing is what do we learn about the nature and character or the response of mankind? to God. And we'll find through the book of Philippians, it's a, a letter that's written to a group of Christians, so it has particular application for us as a gathering, as a church. And then there's another reason why we like to go through these. And one of that reason is because we like to see Sunday morning as kind of this group Bible study time. And we're going to uh, point out questions and ways that you want to, when you engage with scripture on your own, Kind of, we want to look at the questions you want to be asking because we want to become a church where throughout the week, you also, when you pick up the scripture and you read it on your own, you start to ask these questions and process. So we use this as kind of a group Bible study time, something that we can learn together. And uh, during this series, I want to give you a couple challenges. First one is this. If you have never read the book of Philippians, I want to challenge you to take the next couple months and to read it. Now, if you've read it, you may find that there's only four chapters. So... One, I, I believe in you. I think you can all do it. But maybe even step it up beyond that is would, an encouragement for you would be, what if you read this book, it's four chapters long, read it every week during this series. Get it in your mind. It'll take you about 10 minutes. Some of us, it takes us 20. But the rest of you, it's about 10 minutes to read the four chapters. And, and so would you just read it, kind of start to understand what is Paul talking about as he writes in this book. The other challenge I have for you, this is for those of you who like to take notes. There's some note takers in here. We often, uh, we, we provide a piece of paper every week with notes on it. But I was talking to one of you last week and said, yeah, I take my notes every week and I go home and I put it on the pile with the rest of them. And there's this big old stack of notes from former sermons. So I want to encourage you, would you during this series perhaps maybe go get a notebook or if you like a journal or whatever it is, 
Take it and bring that each week, and any notes or thoughts that come to mind, write them in here. If you need to have, you know, the actual outline with fill in the blank and stuff, when it's, if that's ever provided, you can just transfer it to your own notebook. But it's just an encouragement. Maybe try that as we really do this study through the book of Philippians, and you can bring that week after week, and then you'll look back and see how the book kind of builds. So those are just a couple challenges for you. But uh, so we will begin the book of Philippians today. And as I said, this is, today we want to look at the joy of joining in and how it's so much more fun to participate than to just watch. Um, I've had the privilege, I would say, of being able to travel to many different countries all over the world. And one of the things that I have discovered when I travel that it is way more fun when I join in with the local culture and just try to do what they do. And I was remembering the very first time I ever went to Africa, I, I flew into the city or the country of Tanzania and into the city of Dar es Salaam is where we landed. And I had, I was working on a project on the other side of the country in a town called Mbeya. And it was an 11 hour bus ride. Uh, the person who arranged the travel for me said, oh, it's a five-hour bus ride. And, and so they bought the bus ticket. And as I had the ticket, I was looking at the timetables. I was thinking, I'm pretty sure this is more like 11 hours. And it was 11 hours. And, and we um, saved money. So in Tanzania, there's some bus lines that are kind of like what we would think of as Greyhound. These really nice bus lines. They're air-conditioned. They have bathrooms. We didn't use that. <laughs> we used, I still remember, it was called Jabibi bus lines, and it was um, one of those where you just e expect to see chickens, you know, running around in the aisle, and uh, there's no AC, no bathroom, and it was only 11-hour bus ride. So, <laughs> so I remember getting on this, and there was no other people on the bus who spoke English, and I didn't blend in with the local culture as much as I tried, uh, <laughs> and so I was on the bus, sitting there kind of alone, and just thinking, well, here, it's an adventure, it'll be fun. As we um, started traveling, we had traveled a couple hours. We got outside of the city. And at one point, everyone started, someone got up and yelled something in Swahili. And everyone started closing the curtains on their window. So I was sitting by the window and I thought, oh, we're closing curtains on our window. Okay, so I closed the curtains on the window. I have no idea why I'm doing it or what they just yelled. But I closed the curtains. And then everyone started getting up and running to the back of the bus. And so I got up, and then they were yelling at me in Swahili, saying something. I think it was probably, no, white man, just stay there. It's fine. Um, but whatever it was, they were trying to tell me I didn't have to do it. But I thought, whatever, I'll, I'll do what everyone else is doing. So I got up and ran to the back of the bus as the bus started slowing down. And we got to a checkpoint in the road, and the bus pulled up on a checkpoint, and we were all in the back with the windows closed and the curtains drawn, and I thought, oh, I don't know what we're doing, but this is great. And I'm kind of crouched in the back with a bunch of people from Tanzania, and then the bus crept forward, and when it started moving forward, we all ran to the front of the bus. And I was thinking, I have no idea what it's doing, but this is awesome. I don't, whatever it is. And then, in a minute later, we drove off, everyone sat down, we opened our curtains back up. Well, I found out we were actually at a toll, and it was, um, you pay based on the weight of your bus. <laughs> and so, when the front axle got on the scale, we all ran to the back. And when the back axle got onto the scale, we all ran to the front. I was part of like this international Tanzanian crime ring. <laughs> and I had no idea why I was doing it, but afterwards we all sat back down and I kind of started figuring it out as I looked at the toll and the scales. And I just realized, okay, 
I'm not endorsing breaking that law, but it was so much more fun, even just this random moment, to participate than to watch. It was so much more fun to be there with them and have them kind of laughing and smiling at me when I'm running with them going like, what are we doing? <laughs> oh, we're breaking the law. Sweet, let's do it. <laughs> I've been in Africa for 10 hours. <laughs> but the joy of participating is what we're talking about. It's so much more fun to be a part of things than to simply watch them. And when we look at the book of Philippians, what we're going to find here is there's a group of Christians who are relatively new to their faith who found the joy of participating rather than watching. So as we get started, pray with me as we begin this series. God, we thank you so much again for this morning, and I thank you uh, for the joy of being together. Uh, we thank you for uh, just the way that you move and work in our lives. And I thank you that, I thank you for the book of Philippians and the encouragement that we can find in it. And I thank you that you've been working through and with people who uh, don't always have it figured out, but you've been working with those kind of people, which is us, for a long time. And so today I ask that your spirit would be very present here, and that as we look at the joy of joining in and participating, that you would encourage our hearts and you'd speak to us, and you'd let my words be yours. In your name, amen. Well, I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Philippians. If you are new to the scripture, the Philippians is kind of near the end of the Bible. It's in the New Testament, almost towards the, all the way in the back. And uh, if you need to borrow a Bible, you're welcome to take one from the back of the room. We have hard cop copies, and you, if you don't own a Bible, you're welcome to take that. That is our gift to you. We'd love for you to have one. So the book of Philippians is where we begin. Now, anytime you want to begin a study of a book in the Bible, you want to ask yourself a few things. The first thing you need to understand is what is the context? What is happening here? so that we can understand this, because context changes things. Any of you in a relationship, maybe you're married, you have kids, or you have coworkers, people you live with, you know that context helps you understand, does it not? And sometimes when we don't understand the context, or maybe what somebody is going through, or what they're thinking, then we misunderstand, and it gets us into trouble sometimes. So context is very important. I often think of it this way in, in, in my marriage when I know that maybe uh, one of us are, is having a really busy week and kind of stressed with a lot of things and, and it's one of those weeks where it's just there's a lot of pressure. That's not a good week for the other person to leave their dishes downstairs in front of the TV, for example. You know, when my wife does that. It just, on those weeks when I'm really busy. <laughs> When I know the context, there's some weeks when the, the response may be more gracious than other weeks. And when I understand context, I understand, oh, what one of us is going through, maybe what she's going through, what I'm going through, it helps me to understand. And so when we pick up Scripture and want to look at Scripture, we always want to say, what is the context of this book that we're reading? And there's a few things that help us understand. First is this, you want to know what type of book it is. In the Bible, there's uh, various genres, we can call them, of writings. There's historical writings. Some are just recording facts and events to help us understand what happened. And there's eyewitnesses and information that's been collected to explain it. There's what we call the prophets. Prophets are often people who wrote um, and, and were speaking on behalf of God. And they're your, normally warnings for people saying, repent and turn from your sins. Or God will allow you to experience the results of your rebellion. And so prophets often were giving warnings and usually also there was hope attached to it. 
but God will provide a way. So when you're reading prophets, you can look for that theme and say, okay, this is the context as someone providing warnings and instructions to people and hope. Perhaps you'll find the Psalms or Proverbs, which are kind of our wisdom literature, we call it. In Hebrew, it's the writings. They're often a lot more emotional. People's expressing uh, principles they see in the world and things about life. And sometimes you get just raw emotion and people who are just saying, and this is really rough right now or filled with joy. And those are the wisdom, writing, wisdom literature or the writings. And in this case, this is what we call an epistle or it's a, a letter that's written. And these letters are usually written by someone to either an individual or to a group of people. In the case of Philippians, it's a letter written to a group of people, a, a, a church in the area of Philippi, which we'll talk about in a moment. So when you know it's a letter, you know it's going to be a little bit more personal. There's going to be specific instructions that relate specifically to their lives, but you also will find some uh, relationship there. Here in this case, Paul, this is one of his most personal letters. We find him thanking the, the people there. He finds them sharing about, hey, this is what's going on in my situation. Here's a friend of yours who got really sick. He's doing better now. You kind of find really personal notes in here. So when you read a letter, you know that there's a relationship attached, and it's very pastoral. He cares deeply for these people. So that's one thing in context you want to know. Uh, some of the other things we'll, we'll look at here um, in just a moment. You want to ask, what are the, who are the people, or where is this written to? In this case, it says the Philippians. This is a group of people, as I said, in a town called Philippi. Now, the city of Philippi is in the, it's a, was originally a Greek city. It's in the current country of Greece on the mainland in the far east, kind of near Turkey. If you know nothing about geography or don't care, it's on the other side of the world. Okay, that's all you need to know. <laughs> but it was a Greek city, and, uh, but it was recolonized by the Romans. And at this point in time, it was now a Roman city, a Roman colony, and it was established or reestablished by using retired Roman officers and legions of soldiers. It was a city that afforded, they had um, Roman citizenship, so they had special status. And so citizenship becomes an important theme. And their connection to Rome was very important to these people. Uh, they were relatively, we think, successful and, uh, you know, a pretty healthy city. So that's a little of that context. Now, we'll unpack a little more context here, but first let me read the scripture and find the other information that we need to know. Let's read the first six verses together. Philippians chapter 1 says, Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus." And verse 7 says, For it is only right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of grace with me. So now, this, this is what we're going to look at today. And so what's a little bit more of the context that we want to understand? Now, in a letter, you want to understand who wrote this. And he starts off and says, Paul and Timothy. We believe that Paul wrote it, but Timothy was with him. Timothy was one of his students and one of his disciples who was likely... I'm hanging out with him. And notice how he describes himself. A bond servant of Christ. 
It's important in context to know how does Paul view himself. himself. And he calls himself a servant. Some translations may say a slave of Christ. What's interesting is at the time of his writing, he is most likely in prison in Rome around year 60 AD. And so he's in what maybe is what we'd consider like a minimum security prison. He has visitors who are visiting him and he's able to meet with people. He has certain philosophers will come in and they'll talk about faith. And so we know he has that. But he also, we also know that he's maybe chained to one of the guards. He's always being observed. And he's in chains. And so Paul then, though, starts off and says, I am a servant of Christ. I belong to Christ. You might think I belong to the jailers. You might think I belong to the Roman Empire. You might think I belong to, to the um, Jewish Sanhedrin, which is the ruling Uh, council that turned him over and wanted him arrested. You might think those things, but I belong to Christ. And so Paul begins by identifying his real identity. And it's not found in his circumstances. It's important to know that, and you'll see that pop up through the theme of this book. The circumstances and what things happen to him are not how he defines himself. It's his relationship with Christ that gives him his definition. So first context is, who is it from? It's from Paul. The next thing is this, to all the saints in Philippi. So what does that mean, the saints? This is a word, uh, the Greek word hagios here, and this is the holy ones or people who are set apart. This is not people who are perfect. And this is even different than maybe what we find in, in some religious traditions where we uh, set aside people and call them a saint. Usually that means they've been perfected and they're set a- apart from everyone else. But Paul would say, saints are those who have faith in Jesus. Are they perfect? No. Do they have all the answers? No. But they're people who are set apart because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's to all the saints. So you all today are saints. You're saints. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm a saint. Some of you don't say that very convincingly. (laughs) You're not allowed to say, no, you're not. You can't say that. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, it's to all of them. One thing I love about the church is one thing that we see right here is that it's an equalizer. I, I always think of this about the DMV. I actually don't mind going to the DMV. I really don't. I don't mind going there. You know why I like the DMV? Because when you're at the DMV, and it's not because of the customer service. That's not why I like to go there. The DMV, you, you can have a multimillionaire, African-American, standing next to a poor white college kid. And then right next to them, you could have a, a, a single mother. And then next to them, you can have a family that has their 16-year-old who's ready to take his test for the very first time. It's an equalizer. It's a place where we all have to go. The picture of the church in the New Testament is it's an equalizer. It should be a place where, and one thing I love about Seacoast is we do have people who are in certain income levels that I will never attain to sitting next to other people who are in income levels that are much lower. But they're together. They're equal to all the saints. There's no separation and division based on what you've achieved or where you, who you've been born to where you live or what you do. It's to the saints, to those who put their faith in Christ. It's an equalizer. It's a picture of the way the church is supposed to be. It's a joy. I remember when I, uh, one year when I was in ministry and I, I took a team of mine, uh, some of my staff, a few years back, 
uh, we went to a planning retreat, and I was working in youth ministry, and I had uh, our team, there was like three different races, and one had this long hair and beard, and one had these dreadlocks and tattoos down both the arms, and I remember we were sitting here in, in a nice hotel, and sitting around the table at night, just doing some planning and praying and dreaming, I looked at everyone in, in our little circle, and I thought, this is unusual. This mix of people must look really strange to everyone else, because we had so little in common except for Jesus Christ. And that's a picture of the church. So Jesus, or Paul writes and says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Now he mentions, and we're not gonna get into this too much right now, but he mentions overseers. That's a word that we use today. We, in our church, we use it called elders. I actually like overseer better now that I'm an elder. I think overseer is, sounds a little nicer than being called elder, but... Um, <laughs> But so it's overseers and deacons, and these are positions of leadership within the church. But notice what Paul said. He says, to all the saints, including those in leadership. Now, you might think like, oh, are they not included with the saints? They're saints, and then there's people in leadership. <laughs> what he's actually saying is, they're not better than anyone else. When I say to all the saints, I mean the leaders are not above anyone else. Here at Seacoast, there are people who are paid to work here. There are people who are in, uh, and have positions, who are volunteers as elders. We have ministry leaders, who, which would be equivalent to deacons, who oversee different ministries, but they are not superior to anyone else. In fact, we kind of believe that those in leadership should be serving all, and we'll find that theme throughout Philippians as well. But so Paul says to all the saints, you're in this. It's for all of you. None of you are above this, and none of you are separated from this. I want you all to hear these things. And then he goes and finishes his greeting and says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is a common greeting, but I want you to not miss something. He starts by saying, Grace to you. You must understand this is God's gift and favor given to you. All this stuff is flowing from God because of his goodness, not yours. It starts with God's grace to you, and then you can, he says, peace. And know that peace of God, we can experience that when we have peace with God. And the peace with God comes because of the grace of God. And Paul wants you to know from the very beginning that peace is available. I send you peace but it comes from God's grace. Grace and peace to you from Christ. So this is a relationship given from God. So the context, this is who Paul is, how he identifies himself, and who he's writing to, and how he sees them. People set apart who say we have faith in Jesus and that we're all equal. So this is for us today. So then he goes on. Now let's look at the heart of the Philippians. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in every prayer for you in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. Turn with me, if you will, back to the book of Acts chapter 16. This is one of those ideas of context. When he's mentioning this, you've been participating with me from the first day until now. We want to know a little bit more about that story. And here we'll look into a historical book, the book of Acts, and there's a little bit more context here. And this we start to see what, when the church in Philippi began. So in Acts chapter 16, verse 12, 
Luke has been writing and he talks about where they've been traveling to. In verse 12, he says, From there we went on to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. We were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer. And we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now let's stop there and get a picture of what's going on. They went to this region called Philippi. And again, this is the first time that the name of Christ has been preached there. And to a Roman colony, and he said, on the Sabbath, on Saturday morning, which is a common time for Jewish people till this day to worship and to gather, we went outside of the city walls supposing that there'd be a place of prayer. So he's saying this probably indicates there wasn't a synagogue inside the city, most likely. So there was some Jewish population, but it's probably not very big. So it's mostly non-Jewish people living there, but there's some expectation that there's a few people there that probably are followers of God, and they're probably Jewish followers of God. So on Sabbath, they went outside the city near running water. Now, just a historical nerdy note for those of you who like those little nerdy notes. Um, Most likely, the reason he went there is when there's running water in the Jewish faith, that that was a place where you could find ritual purity. So for your cleansing things, and so you would find running water or a river, so it's very common to pray near there or to gather near there because you could uh, be ceremonially cleansed. So Paul went out there near the river, supposing they'd find at least some people who were studying scripture. And he says, we sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. Now, why does this not mention the men? We really don't know. It could be that the men weren't there. It might have been college football season. I don't know. It could, have, it, this could be indication about just the, how small the group was. It, there's really no reason to speculate because the point isn't that. But the women are gathered together, and it was common that in the Jewish synagogues or meeting places that there was a separation between men and women. And so Paul found a group of women who were studying Scripture, and he began speaking with them. Now, Verse 14, a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you judge me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she convinced us, or some say prevailed upon us, she persuaded us to stay. So now what we have is Paul is speaking to a group of women, and there's this lady named Lydia. It's a Gentile name, meaning a non-Jewish name. She's a businesswoman who sells purple fabrics, probably successful, probably pretty influential, but we don't really know. We find later in Scripture that she definitely has some influence and, and, and leadership qualities. And she's here, and God opens her heart, and she responds. Paul begins talking about scripture and pointing them to, hey, the things you're studying are pointing to Jesus. When you read about the prophets, they're pointing to Jesus. When you read the Psalms, see this thread here. It's pointing to the need for the Messiah. So this theme is here and her eyes are open and she and her whole household become followers of Jesus. Now that happened often in the ancient world. Is is the head of the house, is she the head of the house? Does that mean... Culturally, that is a little unique. Normally, in their culture, the man would be the head of the house. So does this mean she didn't have a husband? It mean that she was single? Was she a widow? Or did she convince her husband? We don't know. But what we do know is through God working in her life, 
her whole household becomes followers of Jesus. And that includes those who work for her. It's not just her kids and herself. It's an extended network of relationships. And they got baptized. Hey, what a great plug for in two weeks. We're doing baptisms. <laughs> an outward expression of what was happening in their lives. And when she and her household had been baptized, she said, hey, if you've judged me faithful, stay here. We want in with what you're doing, Paul. We're excited about what's happening. We're excited about Jesus. We're learning about him. We want in. Stay here. Train us. Teach us. We want to participate in the good news. And in the next few weeks, we will look at more of the story of the beginning of the church in Philippi. But we're going to discover that they, from the very beginning, were all in. We're all in. But let's go back to Philippians now. So you have a little bit of the idea of the beginning of the church. Now look at verses 3 and 4. When he says, I thank my God for all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy for every prayer for you, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day. I'm overwhelmed with joy, Paul said, when I think of you, and I think of your joy, I think of your participation in the gospel, how following Jesus has made such a difference, and you're all in. I'm just overwhelmed with joy. I want you to know that we're committed to building a staff and leadership team here at the church who has that kind of passion for you. That we are praying for you. That we are cheering for you. We are overwhelmed with joy when we hear of how God is moving and working in your lives. When I pray for you daily, not always by name for everyone, but when I pray for this church, and many of you by name, my prayer is that you may experience the joy of participating with what God's doing. And I want you to know that it brings me great joy when I hear stories of how you're living in, out your faith at work. I hear stories from you from time to time, and I love when I hear about your work you're doing to build up families or young adults, people who invest in our kids, people who are invest in investing in the community for the in the name of Jesus. It brings me great joy. And we want to be a staff team here that have that feeling, those feelings for you. Our passion is that you can experience what it means to follow Jesus. And my dream is that we, as a staff team, can think, when we think of you, we think with great joy and gratefulness of how God's using you. It's such a joy. I, um, I still remember one day, I, I, was, I started my ministry career in youth ministry, and I started off with junior high students, which junior high students, honestly, like, they get the, the bad rap, right? Like, oh, junior high students. But it's, it is one of the funnest things you can do in a church is work with junior hires. It, it is a blast um, most of the time. And so, and if any of you want to get involved in junior high ministry, we always have openings because we can't keep people. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we would love to have you help us out. It's so fun. But I still remember this day. We went to a, a, a water park with about 60 junior high students. Spent the day at the water park, and at the end of the day, we went home, and I remember getting off the bus, and, and the kids were getting picked up by parents, and I was talking to some parents. I was probably explaining how, yes, it is possible that we forgot one of our kids at the place, you know, or something like that. But I remember while I'm talking with these parents, and I look over, and there was a little huddle. There's about four students in a huddle in, next to the bus. 
And normally in my youth group, that meant something really good was happening or something really bad was happening. There's really no middle ground with junior high students. And so I see them kind of huddling and I'm now distracted, like what's going on? A minute later, the four of them run up to me really excited. And, and they said, hey, Chris has something to say to you. Now, Chris was a neighborhood kid who would come to youth group from time to time, not very often. But if Chris had something to say to me, I was preparing for like, well, can you not say it in front of the other parents? You know, I don't know what this is going to be here. But so Chris had something to say, and he said, hey, I just became a Christian. And I looked over at the other students who were there, who were seventh graders. And they were beaming with joy. And in my mind, I went, wait, where was the leader? Why wasn't there a leader there to lead them to the Lord? How did this, is this official with it's just seventh graders? You know, I mean, is, can this really work? But why I still remember that day was because I saw the joy of these seventh graders participating in the good news of Jesus. It had nothing to do with me. I didn't do any sort of talk that day. I just went with a bunch of junior hires to the water park and I ditched them so I would have more fun. So when, and when I got back later that day, the junior hires who were there were participating in the good news and their friend became a Christian. Our prayer for you is that in the next year or two, you all can have that story. That you can say, you got to hear this, but my friend who I've been hanging out with, with ye for years just put his faith in Christ. The person I've been playing basketball with just put their faith in Christ. The person that I've been teaching alongside with for years and years just did this. I just got to let you know, there's such joy when you join in the good news. And our dream and prayer for this church is that we're filled with a bunch of people who experience the joy of participating in the gospel. That we're not a church that just shows up on Sundays and, and, and we're here for our pep talk and then we leave and come back a week later. But the pep talk is what gives you the fuel to remind you what you're, what you're living for throughout the week while you do real ministry, while you participate in the gospel. Our dream and prayer for you is that you can experience these stories and we can see our community transformed and changed. Does anybody want to be a part of a church like that? Yeah, me too. You can respond. It's okay to respond. I know, you know, it's not culturally if my Tanzania friends were here on the bus, they would be cheering, maybe even standing and clapping, but that's okay. We'll get there. Yeah, we want to be a church that we just say, God, use us how you want to use us. We're in. And you can experience that joy. I still remember that day after the water park. And I'm never going to forget it. And it's not even because of what happened in Chris's life. It was what happened in the lives of the kids who cared about Chris. That's what I remember and what God wants to do with you. There's such joy in that. And so I get it when Paul says, I am overwhelmed with joy when I think of you because you joined in from the beginning. And it wasn't because that made Paul look better. It was because he knew they were experiencing where life came from, and it was from Christ. Now, the next thing is this. So that's the heart of the Philippians, and finally, we end this. I am confident of this very thing in verse 6, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful. He'll be faithful to protect it or perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. I am confident that who has began the good work in you will complete the work that he has begun. 
Brothers and sisters, I got to let you know, if Jesus Christ begins a good work in you, he's not going to stop. And some of us show up and we feel like, God, I, I failed again. I'm still struggling with the same sin I've struggled with for 40 years. God, are you done with me yet? But I need to tell you that he who begins a good work in you will be faithful to carry it out to completion till the day of Christ Jesus. Meaning as long as you're alive, he's working on you. He's not going to give up on you. He's still using you. The encouraging thing about that with the Philippians is this. They were joining in with the gospel, but they were still a work in progress. You see, they didn't work. He didn't say, I'm so grateful God perfected you, so now you can join in with the gospel. No, he said, hey, I'm, I love that you participate, but, and I love that you're not perfect yet because you're in process. God is still working on you. God is still working with you. God is not done with you yet. Turn the person next to you and tell them, God is not done with you. Say it with conviction. God is not done with you. In the first service, someone said that and I heard a thank God yelled out. <laughs> See, God is not done with us. He's going to work with us. He's going to be transforming and changing us as long as we're here on the earth. When he's done with you, there will be a greasy spot on the floor where you were standing. When, then you will know he's done with you and you are caught up into heaven. He's going to keep working with you and keep transforming and changing your life. So you don't have to be perfect to be used by God. And you also don't have to strive and try to be the one to perfect yourself. It's Christ. Paul reminds us in Galatians chapter 3, verse 3, I have it on the screen for you this. He says, are you so foolish? Speaking to the Galatian Christians, having begun, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? In other words, Paul was writing to them and he said, if Jesus has begun a work in you, he has forgiven you and transformed your life by his spirit, do you think now that the work that he's begun, you are going to perfect it with your own efforts? You're going to take over for God now? Hey God, thanks for beginning the work of changing my life. I've got it from here. How well has that worked for you? <laughs> That's the good news of this. What God has begun, he will keep working with you. And Christ will more and more live in and through your life. Don't say, thank you, God. I'm glad you changed my life. Now I'll make sure that everything else stays on track from here. Wake up every day and say, God, I surrender this to you. I need you to live in and through me and keep working. Thank you that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to carry it out to completion until I'm with Jesus. Thank you for that. I need that today. And then let him use you and work in you. As we end our time here, I just want to ask you and challenge you maybe with a few thoughts. And the first is this, is how do you participate in the gospel? And for all of us, it, it, it may be just baby steps. Maybe for some of you, it's you want to start praying for people in your life, looking for opportunities to say, God, use me. I, I, that's a scary prayer, isn't it? That's, that's one of the prayers I don't always like to pray. It's like, I don't, I don't like to pray for humility because God might answer it. And then I, I, I kind of don't always like to pray God use me because he just might want to. <laughs> and that's always a little bit scary. But maybe it begins there for you. And, and maybe for some of you in this room this morning, you've never taken the first step of faith of saying, Jesus, I just, 
I want to start by saying, I want to place my faith in you and receive your forgiveness. Would you change my life? Come into my life. Some of you, maybe you've wandered from the faith and you've wandered a long ways. And this morning, God's welcoming you home and saying, come back. Today, would you take that step back in faith? So wherever God is speaking and working in your heart today and opening your eyes, let's be a people who respond. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we're going to end with just one song here in a moment. And as we end the challenge again, just say, God, how, what does this mean for me? What do you want to do with me? What is my response? So let's pray. God, we thank you so much for this morning. I thank you. Um, I thank you that you who've begun a good work, that you carried out to completion. Thank you that you use those of us, which is all of us, who are called saints, yet we're not perfected yet. We're in process. We're offering you broken pieces that are not whole, but you're putting them together in your way. And so we ask that you use our brokenness in our lives that are still in progress and use it for your name. I pray, God, that you would help us to understand what it means to participate in the gospel, to join in, to not simply watch, but to be a part of what you're doing. And would you use us? And now, God, for anyone in here this morning who needs to take that first step of faith or a renewed step of faith, would you draw them to you right now and speak to them very clearly? And if that's you this morning in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I ask you to come into my life and begin a good work in me. To begin the process of changing and transforming me. I don't have all the answers. Sometimes I'm filled with doubt. So help me have faith in you, Jesus. And for anyone this morning who maybe prayed that prayer for the first time or is just renewing their life, I want to ask you, I want to keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. If that's you, I would love to pray for you. And just So if you could, in a moment, just look up and make eye contact with me so I can pray specifically for you. Thank you. Thank you. We'd love to be praying for you. Thanks so much. God, we thank you for the people this morning who are taking a step of faith, who are eyes are being opened or maybe reopened. And I ask now that you would encourage them with your presence. And I ask that you would speak to them clearly with your spirit. And God, let this church be about you and how you lead us. And so we give you this time now, God. And we respond with our hearts open to you, trusting that this is all flowing from you in the first place. And it's all about you. So would you move in this place now? In your name, amen.